and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a few years ago, my family and I headed out to Colorado to visit my brother in Colorado Springs. And while we were out there, we camped at this state park um, called Mueller State Park, which was just a little bit outside of Colorado Springs in Divide, Colorado. Now, as we were driving into Colorado Springs from the east, we couldn't take our eyes off of the mountains because they rose like giants out of the seemingly flat earth. As we drove into the city, the mountains just towered above us. And so as we were camping, we headed into the Kroger there um, to get supplies. And as we came out, the mountains had disappeared. There was a storm on the mountain. It was a little bit eerie not being able to see those mountains, but knowing that they were there. What was worse was knowing that we were headed into those mountains and we were going to camp in a tent. Now, we did camp in a storm that night, and I think I've shared that story with you before. Um, and it's way better to talk about this story after it than to be in it, because we did camp in a tent in the hail 9,000 feet up. After two days of camping, we headed back to Colorado Springs so that we could drive to the top of Pikes Peak. And it's kind of funny because we were up in this state park on top of a mountain and then we had to drive down to Colorado Springs and then we had to drive back up Pikes Peak. Pikes Peak is one of the 14ers of the Rocky Mountains. 14,000 feet of elevation and while it was shorts and tank top weather at the base of Pikes Peak, when we reached the top of the mountain we needed hats, coats and gloves just to stand outside and enjoy the view. And as we enjoyed the view, wind whipped around our heads and our eyes watered with the severity of that wind and the cold, but I will say that the views were spectacular. After spending our time in Colorado Springs looking up, up, up at Pikes Peak, 
It was really different to be standing atop Pike's Peak and looking down at the earth. Have you ever noticed that most of the majorly important stuff that happens in Scripture happens on higher ground? The transfiguration experience happens on a mountaintop too. In order to understand the significance of higher ground experiences, we have to go back to the days of Moses and Elijah. Because when God spoke directly to Moses every time he did it, Moses had to hike up the mountain to communicate with God. And when God spoke to Elijah, Elijah was on a mountaintop listening for God in the wind and the rain. But when God spoke to Elijah, he did so in a still, small voice. So in Peter, James, and John's eyes, it might be reasonable for them that in order for God to speak to Jesus, he might do so from a mountaintop. Their teacher had chosen just the three of them for this mountaintop experience. Maybe they were hoping for a communication from God, but they were probably thinking that Jesus would be the one that God would talk to. Instead, when they got to the top of the mountain, Jesus was transformed. His clothes turned a shining white. It wasn't a mirage. His, his clothing would have been dusty after traveling the roads from the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee toward the south to Jerusalem. And who appeared atop the mountain with Jesus but Moses and Elijah? Moses received the law on top of the mountain, and Elijah received God's word. The last words of the Old Testament prophet Malachi are God's promise that he will send Elijah, who will preach to turn the heads of the fathers to their sons and the sons to their fathers. So the disciples are standing atop the mountain, looking at Jesus, standing as an equal next to the representation of the law and the prophets. This is an important visual perception change for the disciples. Jesus stands as an equal to the two most important things to the Jews. The disciples are probably surprised, to say the least. And then there's Peter, the boldest of the three, the one who just before heading up the mountain shared that he believes Jesus to be the Messiah. And he pops off and suggests that they should build a shrine, a dwelling place for Moses, a dwelling place for Elijah, and a dwelling place for Jesus. Let's just stay here. It's really nice up here. But God overshadows them with a cloud, and his voice comes from the cloud, and when he speaks, he doesn't address Jesus. He directly addresses the disciples. And the first thing he does is that he directly identifies Jesus as his son. Not the kind of son like Caesar is the son of God, but the Son 
of the one true God. And secondly, he tells the disciples to listen to his son. And then the cloud disappears, and Moses and Elijah are gone. Only Jesus, James, and Peter remain on the mountaintop, and now the disciples' perspective has been changed. Jesus is no longer a prophet, a mouthpiece of God. He's no longer just a devout follower of God in the eyes of the disciples. He is truly the Son of God incarnate. I can just imagine the faces of the disciples as they descend the mountain. I kind of think of the bewildered manga cartoon eyes, or for those of us who are older, maybe when uh, Tom and Jerry, Tom's eyes when they bug out. I wonder what it took and how long it took for the disciples to gain enough courage to speak when they were coming down the mountain. I wonder if they even remember getting to the bottom. One thing is sure, their perspective on who Jesus really was changed on the mountaintop. Now early in the 20th century, Tibet had come increasingly under Chinese control. Now, I'm, I've, I've transitioned to Tibet because you know me, I like to read. And somebody recommended to me the Book of Joy. And it is a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And I would highly recommend the book. It's a great book. I can't put it down. But as I was uh, reading the book, I kind of got curious. I didn't know a lot about the history of what had happened with um, the Dalai Lama living in exile. And so in, in 1950, China invaded the country of Tibet. And in 1951, there was an agreement signed that um, China was ruling over Tibet, but that Tibet could retain its own government and thus would be under the traditional rule of the Dalai Lama. The people of Tibet were a highly religious people. They practiced a unique form of Buddhism. And they began to suffer a great deal under communist China's anti-religious legislation. For years, there were scattered protests, but a full-scale revolt broke out in March of 1959. Now, the Chinese troops crushed the rebellion, but in the process, the Dalai Lama was forced to either be killed or to flee the country. So he disguised himself, this great holy man, disguised himself as a palace guard and escaped into the night, fleeing to a mountaintop exile at Dharamsala in Punjab, India. According to biographer Douglas Adams, he traveled without his glasses. You all know, like when you see the Dalai Lama, you think of his glasses. Would you recognize him without those? He traveled without his glasses. So his blurred vision must have heightened his sense of fear and uncertainty as the escape party snuck by garrisons of the People's Liberation Army. They endured sandstorms and snowstorms as they summited the 19,000-foot mountain peaks. 
during their two-week escape. In Tibet, the Chinese adopted brutal measures against the Tibetans, eventually resulting in the banning of the practice of religion in China altogether. And this caused thousands of monasteries to be destroyed. Throughout all of this, the Dalai Lama continued to fight nonviolently for international support to end Chinese domination over Tibet. In 1989, the Dalai Lama was awarded the Nobel Prize for Peace for his efforts. In this book that I was telling you about, The Book of Joy, the Dalai Lama says this about his exilic experience. There are different aspects to any event. For example, we lost our own country and became refugees. But that same experience gave us new opportunities to see more things. For me personally, I had more opportunities to meet with different people, different spiritual practitioners like you, he said, referring to Bishop Desmond Tutu, and also with scientists. This new opportunity arrived because I became a refugee. If I remained in Patala and Lhasa, I would have stayed in what has often been described as a golden cage, the Lama, Holy Dalai Lama. He continued after affecting a stiff posture that he used to have to maintain as a cloistered spiritual head of the Forbidden Kingdom. So personally, I prefer the last five decades of refugee life. It's more useful, more opportunity to learn, to experience life. Therefore, if you look from one angle, you feel, oh, how bad, how sad. But if you look from another angle at the same tragedy, at that same event, you see that it gives me new opportunities. With those new learning opportunities and those new experience, the Dalai Lama has been able to lead his people and also people all around the world to more compassionate hearts. More compassionate hearts that understand the hurts of the world outside of our own selves. The Dalai Lama's refugee mountaintop experience has given him new perspective. Had he lived out his life in Tibet, his people wouldn't have had the benefit of his incredibly compassionate connection to the rest of the world. And the world would definitely have missed out on learning from the wisdom of this gentle and kind man. So the disciples went up the mountain knowing that Jesus was their teacher. Peter had even confessed he thought Jesus was the Messiah, but they came down having received confirmation directly from God that Jesus was his son. The Dalai Lama left Tibet in tragic circumstances, but in his mountaintop exile, he's found that he is freer to learn and lead his people more compassionately outside of that golden cage. When Jesus and his disciples came down the mountain, his clues for his disciples about his death 
increased in frequency. After the mountaintop, the though the disciples might not have been aware of it, Jesus' teaching became more intense. It's important for us to take time apart to hear from God. Mountaintop experiences in which we step apart or step up from our everyday routines and meet God in new places are important for our spiritual well-being. Because time on higher ground lets us retool our vision, focusing on God in new ways. The disciples, before they went up that mountain, thought that they knew what they were seeing when they looked at Jesus every day. But when they went apart from the group, went apart from the crowds and the people, they saw Jesus in a new way. You see, in the repetition of our daily grind, sometimes we become blind to God. When my son John was little, and, and see, he's, he's not in here, so I can talk about him. That's how this works. I've told him that. Right? Yes. Okay. When John was little, he was a climber. He climbed everything. If I could not look out my backyard and find him on the swing set or playing in the yard, I knew that I had to leave the house and start looking in trees. Now I often found him high up. Sometimes he was reading a book and sometimes he was drawing from his perch way up in the tree. Today when our family goes on hikes, John still seeks out the high places. Much to our dismay, chagrin, and worry, he climbs cliffs, scales rock walls, runs to the top of the hill ahead of us. He is always seeking new vantage points. Because the higher he goes, he says, the broader the view. While we're standing on the ground, we can see each individual tree. But when John climbs to the cliff ledge and stands right on the edge, he can see the forest. The first thing that happens when we go to higher ground is that our vision expands. Our eyes see more outside of ourselves to include the world. The disciples recognized that Jesus was more than their teacher. He was more than a new kind of rabbi. He was more than a prophet. He was the Son of God, come to save the world. The second thing that happens when we go away or move to higher ground is that we begin to open ourselves to the use of our other senses. Our culture is visually oriented, but at the top of the mountain, a cloud overshadowed the disciples, obstructing their view. Instead of seeing God, they heard from God. When we take time to go to higher ground, when we interrupt our routine, we open ourselves to experience God in new ways. As the disciples were overshadowed by the cloud, they received word directly from God that his son was with them. 
And God gave them the command, listen to him. Taking time to let that cloud of unknowing surround us so that we might listen instead of see or even listen instead of talk gives us fresh perspective in our walk with God. Transfiguration Sunday this year marks our turn with Jesus toward Jerusalem, turn toward the cross. This coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent will begin. And Lent is a time in the church calendar, a time for self-examination, a time to take stock of the state of our hearts. Lent is a time to ask ourselves, are we loving God with our whole hearts? Can we love God with our whole heart if we're going about our business without hearing the cries of his children who are suffering and dying all over the world. We're approaching a time of study together as a congregation. The Unbinding Your Heart study has two major foci. The first is to help us to better understand the why behind the importance of being able to talk about our faith to others. And when I say others, I don't just mean people who have never met Jesus. I mean other Christians, other people in this room, both believers and non-believers. Because being able to talk about our faith is both a way to inspire other believers and also a way to introduce people to Christ. The second focal point of the study is that it is an enrichment or a development of a prayer practice that helps us to grow in our relationship with God. It's a study that focuses learning and practicing what we're learning at the same time in prayer. Pastor Lou, our ministry staff, our leadership board, and I invite you on that journey. There are established groups that have openings and there are new life groups forming. And a life group is a group of about 12 to, I don't know, lots of groups are big and some groups are smaller, people. And they meet and they gather and they have fellowship and they laugh and they study. And some of them even eat and they pray. Free child care is offered in our group meetings that are in the church on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And this year, a light meal will be served on Wednesdays starting at 5.30 p.m. There's even a new daytime class starting on Thursdays. So open your bulletin. Yeah, I'm waiting. <laughs> There's an insert in there that says unbinding your heart at the top. Turn that thing over, and there is a list of every group that's, that's open to join. And if you're wondering how to sign up, when you go out these doors today, hang a sharp left, and there's a long counter under a big sign that says connect. Find the group you want to sign up for, and sign up for it right there today 
before you leave. Let's take time to go to higher ground together as we meet for times of fellowship, study, and prayer throughout these 40 days of Lent. What might we have learned as a faith community when we come down that mountain together? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, you have invited us to the mountaintop for new perspective, to see you in all of your glory. God, we can't help but be changed by that experience to know that you are with us, you are among us in our midst. Gracious God, we pray that during these 40 days you would open our eyes, open our minds and our hearts to experience you in new ways. Help us to hear the cries of our brothers and sisters. Help us to celebrate the joy that we experience in knowing you with them. Guide us and lead us in ways where we can work on ourselves, God. Work in us, work through us. And as we come down the mountain together, as we celebrate on Easter Sunday, let us shout with joy as we celebrate new life with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Let's all say this blessing together. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he lead you home rejoicing with the wonders he has shown you. May he lead you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go in peace and serve the risen Savior. Amen. Amen.